All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In this recording, we begin looking at the final things of the letter. Um, We are now at chapter 16, and chapter 16 has two parts. The first part, verses 1 through 12, takes up two specific topics that the Corinthians presumably had asked Paul about in the letter they sent him. And then in the second part, beginning in verse 13, it's just final matters as Paul wraps up the letter. So let's begin by looking at chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. And the first thing to notice is how chapter 16 begins. It begins with now concerning. And that phrase has been the way Paul referred to matters about which the Corinthians had written him in the letter they sent him. And that suggests that the two practical matters in 16, 1 through 12 were things the Corinthians had uh, asked Paul about. The first is the collection, and the second is about Apollos and whether or not he's on his way to Corinth. So, the first, the collection. Notice chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. Presumably, this is something they were curious about and had asked him about, maybe because they had already heard some things about that from Paul and they were trying to clarify some things from him. Because this, the collection for the saints, has been a major project that Paul has been spearheading over the course of what we call Paul's third missionary journey, maybe even a little longer than that. In fact, when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he's in the middle of his third missionary journey, and he's in the city of Ephesus, and he has been encouraging the churches that he has planted to participate in an offering, that's what he means by the collection, an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. So the collection for the saints refers to an offering for the Jerusalem and Judean Christians. Uh, There has been a famine that has made life particularly difficult for the Christians in that region. And Paul wants to show a, a, not just compassion, but also a show of support and unity from his Gentile churches uh, for the Jerusalem Christians. And so he's been working really hard on this project uh, during this time of his ministry. In fact, we'll learn in the second half of verse 1 that the churches in Galatia are already on board with it. We learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that the churches of Macedonia were on board with it too. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, it sounds like some of the Corinthians had started this project for themselves at that point, a year before Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. And so there's been a lot of work on this. There's a lot of churches involved in this. It's not only a matter of Paul gathering funds or money to take to them. He's also soliciting representatives from the various churches that are involved so that real, live, living, breathing members of Gentile churches can go and present their offering to care for and to show support for their brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Jerusalem and Judea. Um, And those representatives not only are a show of support and unity, they also provide some financial accountability. So those people are all traveling with Paul at this point in time. So that's what's going on. That's the collection for the saints. And Paul says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are to do as well. So Paul's going to give them some instructions on how he wants them to prepare for this offering. And he says, I want you to follow the same pattern that I gave to the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a region in the middle of what is now Turkey. And Paul had planted the initial churches there on his first missionary journey 
way back in the late 40s, so about seven or eight years earlier. He had planted those churches. He had given them instructions. They're involved in this, this offering for the Jerusalem saints. And so Paul's going to give some instructions. It's really the same that he gave to the Galatians. Instruction number one is this, verse two. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections need to be made when I come. In other words, Paul, while he's away, he wants them to already be taking up offerings so that when he arrives, the offering is already taken. They don't have to take any more offerings once he gets there. Um, and he wants them to do it on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, set it aside, and he wants them to, to give whatever they can as a person may prosper. That is, based on the amount you have, give what you can and set it aside and store that up so that it'll all be ready when I come. So that's instruction number one. Instruction number two is this. When I arrive, whomever you approve, I will send them with letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. So he wants to choose representatives from the church at Corinth. So you pick out a couple of people that you think would be great representatives to send to Jerusalem. Paul's going to write letters of recommendation introducing these people, where they're from, and who they are. And then Paul says in verse 4, if it's appropriate for me to go also, they will go with me. So Paul's not sure whether he's going to travel with them to Jerusalem yet. He might. He's still trying to sort out all his plans. If he can, he will go with them as well to deliver this gift. Now, we know the rest of the story from the book of Acts. And so we know, in fact, that Paul did travel with the group to Jerusalem. He did it at the end of his third missionary journey. He traveled there, delivered the offering, and then we see what played out once Paul got to Jerusalem there in Acts chapter 20 and 21. Now, what's Paul's current situation and Paul's current plans? Well, that's where he turns next in uh, 16.5. He says, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. So Paul's not totally sure if he's going to go to Jerusalem yet or if he has other plans. He's still sorting out all the details of his itinerary. But he knows he wants to come and spend some time in Corinth, but he wants to go through Macedonia on his way there. So that's Paul's initial plans at this time. Macedonia is the region just to the north of Corinth. Paul is currently across the sea in Ephesus. So he's going to sail across the sea, uh, travel by foot through Macedonia, and then arrive at Corinth. And he's thinking he wants to spend a decent amount of time there, maybe even spend the whole winter there when sailing was not really possible on the Mediterranean and all of that. And so he'll winter with them. That's at least his initial plans. But we know from 2 Corinthians that the, the plans that Paul mentioned here changed, and they changed for several reasons. And this change of plans actually became a serious source of tension between Paul and some of the people in the church at Corinth. Uh, they began to accuse him of being double-minded, speaking out of both sides of his mouth, not reliable, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but for now, Paul's thinking of staying put for a bit in Ephesus, then heading over into Macedonia, then traveling to Corinth and spending some time there. He says in verse 7, For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. And so he's, he's, the way he's thinking is he wants to come when he has time enough that he can spend a good amount of time in Corinth. And so not just a quick trip. That's why he's thinking maybe he'll get there in time for winter and he could spend three or four months of winter with them there. 
But for now, verse 8, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul, as we noted, is across the sea in Ephesus, and he wants to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Pentecost, Jewish feast, right? Remember the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2, that's when the church began. Pentecost comes in late spring, seven weeks after Passover. So it comes in May, later in the spring. And so when Paul's writing this, it's probably early in the year. And Paul plans on staying in Ephesus for several more months before he then heads into Macedonia and down into Corinth. Why does he want to stay there for a bit of time? Well, because there's a wide door for effective service, for effective ministry. The, the door is open for ministry in Ephesus. He wants to seize the opportunity. And there are many adversaries, which is ironic. So he's got a wide door for ministry and there are many opponents. And he's going to stay there until he can kind of get the church shored up. And he can feel like, okay, I've really got this ministry heading in the right direction. While Paul's staying in Ephesus, he's sending out various co-workers to various places, and Paul's actually thinking of sending Timothy uh, into Macedonia ahead of him, and maybe even down into Achaia, where in Athens, and down to Corinth ahead of him. Um, and Paul notes that here in verse 10. He says, now, if Timothy comes, see that he has no reason to be afraid while among you, for he's doing the Lord's work as I am, so do not look down on him, anyone. This probably connects with what is described in the book of Acts in chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. Paul's in Ephesus, and he sends Timothy and another fellow out, uh, and they're going to head into Macedonia and Achaia. Look what it says, Acts 19, 21 and 22. Now, after these things were finished, Paul resolved in his spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So, Paul's plans are beginning to get more and more clear as time goes by. Uh, and he doesn't have them all sorted out when he writes 1 Corinthians. But there in Acts, he's beginning to get some clarity on what he actually thinks he wants to do. So he kind of knows his plans. And this is what he does in verse 22. After he sent into Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And so here in 1 Corinthians 16.10, uh, Paul probably has in mind Timothy going into Macedonia and then continuing south into Achaia and showing up there in Corinth. And it sounds like Paul knows there's some tension and difficulty already brewing in the church. There's already all these factions. He's been trying to address those in this letter. Uh, maybe there's even some uh, tension in their attitude towards Paul that, uh, that he knows about to some degree, but he doesn't know how deep it is yet. Those things are going to erupt very soon. Paul's going to change his travel plans. He's going to end up having to write uh, 2 Corinthians. He writes a whole other letter before 2 Corinthians in there. It kind of becomes a mess. Um, but at this point, while he's staying in Ephesus, um, Paul is sending out Timothy, and Timothy and Erastus are going to come in his place. And Paul is trying to kind of head off any possible opposition or conflict that could happen before it happens. Now, we know again from 2 Corinthians that the best laid plans did not work out. Actually, the situation went from bad to worse. Timothy gave a negative report. Things were in chaos in Corinth. Paul actually ended up having to make an impromptu trip to Corinth. Uh, that led to serious conflict between Paul 
uh, and the Corinthians and actually led to Paul leaving Corinth really with his tail between his legs uh, and the conflict unresolved to some degree. Uh, that led to a painful letter and then 2 Corinthians, just a whole mess. We'll save all the details of that for our commentary on 2 Corinthians. But here, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 16.10 is, is that if Timothy shows up, work with him, cooperate with him. Don't make it difficult for him. Respect Timothy and respect his authority in the Lord. And then he says, send him, that is Timothy, on his way in peace so that he may come to me for I expect him with the brothers. And so once he's come to the people in Corinth, uh, Paul wants them to send him back across the sea to Ephesus, and Paul's expecting Timothy there. And Paul says he expects him with the brothers. Now, the question is, which brothers? Could mean Paul and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus are expecting Timothy to come. Or it could mean Paul is expecting Timothy to come back to Ephesus with some brothers uh, that are in Corinth. Maybe other co-workers, maybe those who actually delivered 1 Corinthians. Um, and I tend to think the latter makes the most sense. But either way, Paul is expecting Timothy back in Ephesus and wants the Corinthians to send him peacefully on his way. Now, while Paul is on the matter of his travel to and from Corinth, there's one more matter about which the Corinthians had asked, and that's Apollos. So verse 12 says, Now, concerning our brother Apollos, recall that Apollos was discussed in the first section of the letter, that one of the divisions in the church were rallying around Apollos. And so some are wondering, when is Apollos coming back to Corinth? Here's what Paul says concerning Apollos. He says, I had strongly encouraged him to come to you with the brothers. In other words, he encouraged Apollos to come with whichever brothers he's sending into Corinth, presumably those delivering the letter. So Apollos could have been one of the male personnel for the letter of 1 Corinthians, but it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has the opportunity. So for some reason, Apollos did not want to go to Corinth at this time. We don't know why. Maybe it was other ministry that he was doing that he didn't want to break up right now. Maybe he was concerned about the divisions and factions in the church, and he was afraid his presence might only make that worse. We don't really know why, but for some reason, Apollos was not prepared at this point to go to Corinth, and so he stayed behind. Now, that's the last major topic of the letter, and so at this point, the body of the letter is complete. And that means there are just a handful of things that Paul wants to encourage the Corinthians in before he signs off. And so that's what we get in the last half of chapter 16. So picking up in chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. All that you do must be done in love. And what Paul really lists off just quick like here in verses 13 and 14 are five specific calls to action. He says, be on the alert. This is a very common ref refrain in the New Testament. Like, keep focused. Keep your head in the game, right? Like, be focused. Be on the alert. He says, stand firm in the faith. Like, be rooted. Be planted in the, the true faith of the gospel, right? Act like men. Uh, which is probably has the sense of be brave. Sometimes this phrase, that's the way it's even translated. Be brave, be courageous, act like men, be brave, be courageous, be strong, which probably intends to amplify, act like men, be brave and be strong. Like it takes real courage. 
and strength to stand firm in Christ. When the culture around you is opposed to you, when the culture around you ridicules you or even mocks some of the things you believe. So be, be courageous and be strong and stand firm in your faith. And then he says, do everything in love. That's the fifth call to action here, which has been a real theme for this letter. For several of the issues, Paul keeps saying, you got to do everything in love. Love builds up. Think of others. And so five quick calls to action. Next then, Paul draws attention to some key uh, men and key families in the church and really encourages the church to honor people like them. So verse 15, he says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of Achaia. Achaia was the region in which Corinth, uh, the city, sat. And he says, the household of Stephanus, that is Stephanus and those members of his house, his, his family, his wife, if he has any kids, his adult children, his servants, even maybe his clients and some employees. That's the household. It includes all of those. Uh, and so the household of Stephanus, they are the first fruits of Achaia, meaning they're the first converts to come to faith in Christ. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul notes that uh, the household of Stephanus was some of the few people that he actually personally baptized himself in Corinth. And so the, you know that the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to ministry to the saints. And so not only were they the the first people to believe, but they have been faithful and they have devoted themselves to ministry, to serving the saints. The saints are God's people. And so uh, they have been faithful to ministry to God's people there in Corinth. I urge you that you also be subject to such as these and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And so to be subject means to arrange yourself under, right? Like you got to respect these people and honor these people and people like this who are devoted to the ministry, devoted to the work, devoted to serving God's people. Arrange yourself under their leadership and their authority. Then after that encouragement, Paul begins his closing greetings, but he does so first by noting that Stephanus and two others have actually come to visit Paul. And so he says in verse 17, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. And so these three have come to Paul in Ephesus, and they have supplied what was lacking on your part. Primarily, your presence. We couldn't be together, and they have come, and they have brought uh, your presence to me, and they represent you here. They probably also brought news of the church, and they may be some of the people that have filled Paul in on some of the problems in the church. He says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. And so by coming to Paul, they have encouraged him. They've refreshed his spirit. When he says they've refreshed my spirit and yours, what he probably means is by virtue of their service and their work to the church, by representing the, uh, the church and bringing news of them to Paul, it's been just an encouragement to everybody. Therefore, he says, acknowledge such men. That is, recognize them. Acknowledge them, recognize their ministry and their service. These are some of the good, faithful people in Corinth, and Paul wants these kind of people to be the, be the ones that are held in high regard and high respect because they are faithful and trustworthy. Then Paul says, the churches of Asia greet you. And so Paul's in Ephesus. Ephesus is the capital city of Asia. And so the, the church there in Ephesus greets him. But there's other churches of Asia as well. 
And we know from Acts chapter 19, verse 8 through 10, that while Paul is there, he's teaching regularly and he's sending co-workers out into some of the surrounding cities and towns near Ephesus to plant other churches. What are some of those other churches? Well, it's churches like Colossae. That's in Asia. Laodicea is in Asia. Philadelphia in Asia. In fact, the other churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, in those first couple chapters of the book of Revelation, those are all churches of Asia. And so it's churches like that that send their greetings to the Christians there in Corinth. Then he says, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Paul has been with them in Ephesus. He had actually worked with them in Corinth. When he first arrived in Corinth, he stayed with them. They were leather workers and tent makers like Paul, and so he worked in their shop with them in Corinth. Then when Paul left Corinth and sailed to Ephesus, they traveled with him. Paul left them there. He traveled to Jerusalem at the end of the second missionary journey, and they stayed in Ephesus. And now they're still there, and they're hosting a church in their house, and they send their greetings back to the brothers and sisters in Corinth. In fact, by the end of Paul's third journey, in a year or so from the time that he writes this, they're actually now back in Rome, and they have another church that meets uh, in their house in Rome. So Aquila and Priscilla have been all over the place, Corinth to Ephesus and back to Rome, over this handful of years that Paul has known them. But at this point, there they are in Ephesus working with Paul. Paul sends his greeting from them and from the church that's in their house. Then he says in verse 20, all the brothers and sisters greet you. So all the Christians here in Ephesus and the area greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. And so greet one another warmly with a holy kiss. A kiss of greeting was standard in the Greco-Roman world. And so greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul then says, this greeting is in my own hand, that of Paul. And this is actually common in letters of the period. We have, we have examples of letters where the sign-off is in a different handwriting than the rest of the letter. Typically, letters would be dictated to somebody who was uh, maybe a professional scribe, but maybe just better at writing. So you would dictate the letter. They would write it out. And then oftentimes at the end, you would write the concluding greeting in your own hand. And so this greeting that we're reading here at the end uh, is actually in Paul's own handwriting. And it was the standard practice for Paul. He actually draws attention to it in the Thessalonian letters as a way of guarding against forgeries. And so Paul would take up the pen, write the, his greeting in his own handwriting. And that's what he's done here. This greeting is in my own hand, that of Paul. And then he signs off by saying, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. And Maranatha is an Aramaic expression for come, Lord. And so, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he cries out, come, Lord, come. Uh, then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, which is really sort of like a prayer for God to pour out his grace on the Corinthians. And then the final line is, my love, like Paul's own love, be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so, he really... Uh, prays and wishes for his love to be with them, to assure them that he loves them. Even though he's corrected them all throughout this letter, he wants them, the last thing to hear is how much he loves them and he wants his love to be with them. And that is the way Paul signs off of 1 Corinthians. 
It has been quite a letter, and the Corinthians had a number of questions themselves. They were dealing with a number of issues. This was a church that was in a bit of turmoil, and even though it was a few years old, Paul loved them, but man, they were really struggling to figure out what faithfulness to Jesus looked like. And so 1 Corinthians addresses their questions and their issues, topic after topic, helping them figure out what it would look like to live faithfully to Jesus as his people there in the city of Corinth in the first century AD. So thanks for joining me here on the Listener's Commentary as we study 1 Corinthians together. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching project that has been made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So if you're one of the supporters, thanks a ton for your generous support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button. That'll take you to a page where you can put in a dollar amount. And if you want to make it a monthly donation, just click the checkbox that says make this a monthly donation. Or you can give a one-time donation as well. Thanks a ton for your support.